the story behind the story in faith culture news and entertainment this is this is billy hallowell Hey guys, I am super excited to be back with my podcast here. You know, this show has undergone some different renditions and, you know, I've had a great time testing out different things, what people want to hear and talking through Bible verse devotionals and just talking through life. And so the new show, what you're going to be hearing is really a collection of just what's going on in faith and culture and in politics and interviews with just incredible people, because that's what I love to do. Anybody who has followed me since my days at The Blaze or even before that, you guys know that I love telling stories. I love interviewing people. I love just getting a chance to sit down and talk through what's going on in our world right now. And so that's what this show is going to be. And I'm I'm excited for you guys to be listening and tuning in. And right now, obviously, our country is undergoing such a difficult time with coronavirus and the chaos that has surrounded that. I can tell you guys, we have really not left our house much. We've let the kids out to play here or there and gone with them just out back. Um, and that's really been it. We've gone on little walks, but we're here in New York and you know, hearing the stories of what people are going through. And I know there are so many opinions right now about you know, oh, are we are we making this more of an overblown situation than it needs to be? Are we overreacting? Are we underreacting? I think the reality is that we just need to be praying because there are people who have died. There are people who are dying. There are people who are struggling. And there are family members of those people who are really suffering right now. And, and just hearing those stories, you know, I don't know. I just I want to say a prayer now, which I wasn't going to do. But I just I want to say a quick prayer because I think this is so important for us to be thinking about, right, and to be grieving about. And I know there's a lot of concern about the economy and where we are, so I'm just going to say a quick prayer if you guys will join me. Lord, we just thank you. I know that gratitude is so important in light of what we're facing, that we have just this renewed reminder of what really matters, of our family, of our lives, most importantly, of where we're going to end up, Lord, when we're no longer here on this earth, Lord. Are we going to be with you? And have we made that decision to accept you and embrace you, Lord? And we just thank you for the love and the grace that you show us, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, Lord, that you just constantly love us. And and you've given us so much in this life, Lord. And so while I complain about the small things and so many of us struggle, we're just grateful, Lord, for what we have. And I pray for those who are suffering right now who are just really languishing, whether they are sick themselves or someone else they know is going through it or a family member or a loved one, Lord. We just pray for peace, for healing. We pray that you would stop this in its tracks. It is growing, and a lot of people are fearful. I pray for those who are fearful, Lord, right now, for those who are just struggling as they watch what's happening. Maybe we just need to turn the news off a little bit. Maybe we need to tune out because so much tuning in is creating so much fear among so many of us, Lord. And I just pray for this country. I pray for the people who are losing their jobs. Maybe they're not ill. Maybe they don't have a family member who's ill, but they, they don't have a job right now. They don't have pay coming in. They're worried about where they're going to get money for groceries and where they're going to get the basic resources they need. And I pray for all the parents who are now suddenly homeschooling their kids and there's so much balance that goes into that. So I just pray for anybody listening right now, anybody who knows somebody who's languishing right now, Lord, we just ask for peace, guidance, hope, and wisdom, Lord. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
So, well, thank you. I wasn't planning on praying, but I just felt compelled to. I think there's so much to pray for, and I feel convicted that I haven't been praying enough. Um, But, you know, I have a really exciting interview on the show today, and this is somebody who I actually hadn't talked to before, and it was really kind of amazing getting a chance to sit down with him. It's Matt Hammett. He's the former lead singer of Sanctus Surreal, and he's got a book out, Lead Me, Finding Courage to Fight for Your Marriage, Children, and Faith. And as we're talking through like all these things that really matter, right, and I've had so much time to sit down and think and, and I'm with, obviously, we can drive each other crazy, let's be honest. This is not utopia. You're stuck in a house with your family members and without getting out and the frustrations and the things that happen. But but really thinking through, man, the power that is in realizing what really matters. And the crazy thing is this interview with Matt was was recorded a few weeks back um, and, and may even be over a month now. And yet, I didn't know we were going to be where we are now, but but hearing the things he talked about, I think so many of us are thinking about those things right now of what really matters. So with no further ado, I want to play this interview for you guys. This is Matt Hammett from Sanctus Surreal, formerly from Sanctus Surreal. He's an author. He works in ministry. He's a musician. So let's listen to what Matt has to say. Hey, Matt, how's it going today? Hey, good, Billy. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. So... So I'm excited to talk with you. You have a really interesting story, and the thing that you have happening right now is this book, Lead Me. So I guess we'll start there. What what led you to write the book? Yeah, so, you know, in, in I guess, 2010, uh, when I was with Sanctus Real, um, I had written this song, Lead Me, that came out. And there's a lot going on in my life at that time, which uh, we can get into later. But um, that song came out, and and basically went way beyond what I ever imagined in terms of the way that it impacted people. Um, and it's crazy because, you know, even 10 years later, I'm still getting emails from people and messages from people on a regular basis about how that song is impacting their lives. And because it was so personal and it came from such a deep personal experience for me, um, a lot of people were asking me to share the story and people were asking me to come speak at events and share the story behind the song. And, naturally a platform to be able to share the deeper parts of that story kind of came to light. And so um, I started probably within the first couple of years of writing that song, just writing down parts of my story and writing things that were meaningful to me and my wife, Sarah and our family. And um, over the course of the past, you know, eight to 10 years kind of transformed into this, this book. And so it's really just my story of, um, it's, it's two parts. It's my story of being a teenage, I mean, I start with my childhood really, but quickly move into my teenage years of meeting the guys in the band, pursuing a dream, meeting my wife uh, a few years later, us going on the road together. So I've got my dream of marriage and family and my career dream kind of all colliding. But then, uh, those two dreams are at war with each other. Well, and, and that's, can yeah. I, I want to, cause I really want to get into that. I think, I think yep. a lot of people experience that and struggle with that, right? That balance. Yes. Uh, and especially in the career that, that you're in and the talent you have and what you, what you've been doing um, to go back a little bit, you know, hearing you kind of talk through some of the different elements of that, getting letters 10 years later, knowing the fact that this song had such an impact on people. What is what is that like? Because I would imagine you create music, you put it out there, and obviously you're passionate about it, but what's it like to get that kind of response where it's like, man, I'm actually impacting people's lives? 
Yeah, you know, at first it was scary because I had never put my personal life out there in such a vulnerable way before. So I actually didn't want to put Lead Me on the record because it was from such a personal place in my own marriage. And then when once the president of a record label heard it, he was like, you've got to record this song. you got to finish it and record it. And so um, it, at first it was scary um, because I'm admitting like, hey, man, my marriage struggles like everybody else, you know, and we often feel this like – I think on stages we feel this uh, kind of false sense of we have to have it all together. Like perfection. It's got to be perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. I've got to be the yeah. glossy, like, hey, I've got it together. I'm you know, up here. <laughs> and nobody and, does. Nobody has yeah, it together. That's nobody the point. does. But back <laughs> in that time in my life, you know, I think I still believed that lie a little bit. Um, and then, but once I started seeing how my vulnerability really impacted people, um, for me, what it did was prod me and encourage me to be more and more vulnerable. Mm. Um, and, and then the reward is, yeah, is outstanding to see people sincerely touched by that. So you mentioned that, and I want to get into your backstory, but before we kind of get, well, actually, no, let's go there now, because I think, I think it's important. You talked about, and you talk about this in the book, you know, meeting the guys, your younger years, what was your introduction to faith? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you not like, just take me through that. Yeah. I grew up in a home where my dad served on like boards of churches and he always taught Sunday school. My mom was the uh, secretary at the private Christian high school or well, private Christian school that I went to for 12 years. And so um, my whole life was kind of in the, the Christian space, um, whether that was church or school. But the funny thing I think about that is uh, it was always my parents were, or my dad was an engineer. He didn't work in the church, but I was with my mom most of the time, obviously at school. And even from a young age, I think I saw how working in ministry, uh, there's that tension there of how much can we show who we really are? How much can we show our struggles? And so I do think there was this kind of glossing over um, even, even at home, like we were allowed to talk about our struggles, but we, my parents didn't that much. And so, um, I think I did have this glossy version of faith. It actually wasn't until I was in my twenties when I started reading Brennan Manning and his story rocked me. Like at first I was like, oh my gosh, an ex priest who was homeless, who an alcoholic, you know, and his story was so crazy yet he wasn't ashamed or scared to share the worst of his life and then say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves me in my best and worst moments exactly for who I am. Mm -hmm. And that just like rocked my world, the way he communicates that message in his books. Um, you know, so it definitely was an evolving faith for me where I had to learn. It's not that glossy, sheeny faith yeah. that touches people. That's not where faith and life really live. Well, and you have to like, there's a couple of dynamics, right? You have to own it for yourself, <clears throat> which is something that I think everybody goes through, right? Because it's like you grow, especially when you grow up with it, it's so nice to grow up with faith. But at least in my experience, for me, it was like, okay, but at what point am I saying this is mine, that I actually believe it? It's not just yes. because I was with my parents going to church and going through those motions. And I would say it wasn't until my 20s that I started to actually own it, right? So, And then the other yeah. dynamic 
that glossiness, which I think a lot of people struggle with this now. It's like, you know, Saturday mornings can be rough with kids in a house, right? They, yeah. There's fighting, there's chaos, and then Sunday mornings come, and they could still be rough, but you go Absolutely. to church, and you pretend... Classic that, fight on the way to church, exactly. yeah. Screaming in the car. <laughs> yeah. Kicking the seat, yeah. I mean, so we, I just think, I think sometimes we try to hide these things, and everybody, everybody goes through it, so why would we do that? Why would we not be authentic? So I think that's interesting that yeah. you went through that kind of journey of realizing that in your 20s. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things in my adult life that's really been a good influence is, on me is um, I'm part of this speaker team for Family Life Weekend Remember Marriage Conferences, and they really taught us, like, man, be honest moment by moment. Like, you know, if we have a, a fight in the hotel room before we speak, they're like, talk about it. <laughs> you know, so we'll say, hey, man, we, my wife and I, five minutes ago, had one of those weird blow up fights in our hotel room. You're not alone, you know, <laughs> exactly. like, you know, so like just being honest, not only about your fart, your past, like I can say, Oh, 10 years ago, I went through this, but it's like, well, I've got to be honest too about what I'm dealing with right now. You know? Right. Right. Like we're all human beings going through things and yeah, like yeah. it's okay if we say, well, eight years ago, you know, it's like, right. No, five minutes ago, <laughs> right. I was yeah. struggling. Like six seconds ago. My children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so, you know, flashing forward a little bit, because I think it's interesting, you talked about the two elements of your life being at, a little bit at war with each other. Obviously, marriage, you're on the road, but you're on the road with, with a band, right? And I think there's this assumption, I guess before we get into that tension, that when you're in a Christian band, everything is just kumbaya, and and maybe it is, but I don't know. It's still a business, and it's a ministry, but it's a weird world where those things collide. Can you speak to that at all? You know, how different is it from the secular world, Christian music, and what are some of the struggles? Yeah, so I saw two different things. I saw, you know, other artists who maybe really separated the business and ministry, so they approached it like, hey, this is a business, and we love God, and we make Christian music, but they it was full on like their priority was like what what do we have to do to get the business going and then that always like you know was hard for us to see especially as young guys coming into it we were just like thought it would just be all ministry you know <laughs> um and so but we lived the opposite end of it i think where we were so focused on everything has to be ministry that we neglected to address some of the business and let those tensions like really build up inside of us because like probably actually made bad business decisions at times because we were like so focused on, you know, how do we um, just do everything in a way that we think, even if it wasn't like right, just we think ministry should look like this and we have to do this. And we we're so focused on that. Um, <clears throat> and, and so I think there's that balance in between, right? Um, but, you know, but it was hard. My wife was with us for the first four years on the road and, and, you know, it, it was hard wanting to be like, have it all together. I'm a young guy in a Christian band and I want my marriage to be great. And we were just kind of deprived in those early years of the space that we needed to be intimate, uh, the space that we needed to fight with each other. It was like, we almost had to not only do that pretending, well, I didn't have to pretend, but I not only did that pretending on stage, we had to do that pretending in a van for 12 hours a day, you know, when we were poor and feeling financial strain, being a newly married guy in a van with a bunch of guys. That's tough. Um, that was really kind of an unreasonable thing to put my wife through. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, obviously she chose me. She knew what we were going to do. And she looks back fondly on the, a lot of those memories. But it was really difficult on our marriage. Yeah, I mean, the reality of that, <clears throat> and that's interesting, that the fact that you had to kind of <laughs> do that pretending during the day, too, because nobody wants to be fighting in front of people or arguing oh, in front yeah. of them. And so your whole existence is traveling with the band at that point. And newly married is when a lot of the fights happen, right? Because it's like you're trying to get to know each other, try to figure out the things and like hash through them, right? And get yeah. rid of selfishness in yourself and, and compromise. And, and that takes fighting sometimes. And especially like for a guy, young guy, you know, I'm fresh out of high school. I'm chasing this dream. My eyes are this big. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're playing on stages with all these big bands we've always looked up to. Um, at that moment, like I hadn't learned yet uh, or matured yet into knowing how to be thought more thoughtful of my wife, you know, in that time. Like I'm just like got my eyes here on this thing and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we're just like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought, but I definitely like <laughs> the thoughtfulness that it takes to have a good marriage, you know, thinking of kind of even those simple needs throughout the day of how can I serve my wife just wasn't on my radar uh, as yeah. an immature guy. And that took a lot of time to learn too. Like, oh, okay, like I need to. It needs to be God, her, and then the rest. Right, right. Well, yeah, and it's it's a struggle that balance of wanting success, right, and going for success, and wanting your family and going for your family. And I think you know the the American dream, outside of just the ministry dream, but the American dream, it sort of catapults us toward work hard, work hard, work hard, and then you kind of find yourself sometimes in a place where it's like, okay. 90% of my day is work now. I'm I'm not even doing spiritually what I should be doing, and I'm not treating the people around me the way that I should be. And, and that's happened to me, and I know it's happened to a lot of people, and people listening right now, it's, it's probably happened to them, or it could be right now. So you got to a point where you made a decision to leave the band. Talk about yeah. that. So um, one of the most interesting parts, in my opinion, of the Lead Me story is the irony of <laughs> the fact that my wife sat me down. She really threw, threw a broken heart and tears, asked me to step up and be a better leader, a better husband, better father, more in tune emotionally and spiritually to, to the needs of our family. Her words really hit me, and, and that actually, the day we had that conversation, I mean, we had a lot of conversations like it, but it was different. It was a real come to Jesus kind of talk. That was the day I picked up my guitar and wrote the first draft of the song Lead Me. So uh, as we already talked about, I didn't think I was going to put it on the album. It comes out. We're going through at that time a really difficult thing. We had our third child born, Bowen, um, who was born with severe heart disease. We're in the hospital while, while Lead Me is number one. So I have this song on the radio, wow. number one, about being a husband and father, and I'm right there at my son's bedside. But but here's the thing. Because of that song being number one, every in, in the success of it, every big tour in Christian music wanted to have us come out on, on the road. And so as soon as we got out of the hospital, um, I went on the road like and toured as heavy as I'd ever toured before after two open heart surgeries with our son. And... Uh, and I had to because we took all that time off. I was in the hospital for almost five months and we had to because we needed to make money. Um, so how am I going to provide, right, if I don't right. do this? Right. And so the song that I had written about being a better husband and father, the success of that song 
actually pulled me away from my family even more. I was just going to say that ten- <laughs> that tension, and in the midst of a health battle with your child, yeah, that tension kicking up and having to actually do the opposite of what you're you're saying you want to do because you have to, right? I mean, yeah. and, I, and I think that, again, the assumption that people have about music and, oh, there's just so much money pouring in. It's like people work really hard. I mean, when you're a musician, yeah. you know that you're working really hard to make music, to produce it, and it's a ministry, but it is it is your livelihood as well. And so you had yeah. to go out on the road. How did you process that in the moment? Because it's very easy now to look back and be like, okay, this is what was going on. How were you processing that just coming off the surgery, getting on the road, and knowing that that tension was happening in real time? Yeah, well, the problem is I wasn't processing it. It was like I do what men do really well, which is compartmentalize all my feelings (laughs) and tuck them away in a little box um, and just charge forward and soldier on, right? Um, And and that is really ultimately what ended up causing – the next couple of years, a lot of grief and problems for my wife and I, because she was wanting me so badly to engage more. Around well, she already sat issues. down and talked to you yeah. and you had this conversation that led you to write the song. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how am I going to, to provide and go on stage every night? How am I going to do my job if I open this box that I've set over here and deal with all this stuff? And so, um, you know, I dealt with it in really unhealthy ways, especially in our communication. And even in the book, I write about how um, it wasn't it wasn't romantic or physical, but I found there was somebody else who was older than me. It seemed safe. You know, there wasn't that physical attraction. I found this this person who was a friend who was older, who worked for us, who I was like, I started kind of sharing my heart. And then I started like, like dripping out this well of of emotional, uh, you know, cherishing love and connection that's meant only for my wife. And I'm dripping it out over here, emptying the reserve that I have for my wife, because this person just hears everything I says. And they're like, Oh, you're, you know, I understand. I understand. I talked to my wife about it. we're fighting. And so it's like, there was, there's a whole section in there where I write about just boundaries too in marriage. And, and so I learned so many lessons. I know God intended for that season of my life because I learned lessons about um, facing facing the grief and the pain and the issues that I need to deal with in my life in real time. Um, I learned about setting up boundaries to protect my heart, myself, my family. Um, and I learned how to say no. And learning to say no took on a form that I never imagined after being with Sanctus Real for 20 years. Um, you said something, you know, you don't have a choice. And I did feel that way. Yeah. Like with five in 2010, I felt that way where it was like, okay, I took five months off work. We're hurting right now financially to pay all these salaries because we'd hired all these people. Um, if I don't do this, then everybody, everybody's out, you know? Mm. Um, I felt (laughs) like I had to, but then four or five years down the road, I, I had to start thinking like, do I have to, do I have to? And what is God really requiring me and speaking to me? Um, and in that season, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the restlessness inside of me over the tension between family dreams and career dreams had turned into what I knew was a release and I could feel it in my heart. And I knew that God was calling on me to step away um, and prior, not only prioritize 
my wife and, and my family, um, but also to share that journey with other men because I saw the same situation and countless marriages around me where men were struggling to know how to lead or to make courageous decisions to that were life-altering to do what they knew was right. And so I just think that that was the path that God called me to and set me to. How was that a hard decision, even though you felt that peace, you know, walking away from something you built for two decades, right? And there's relationships yeah. and friendships and not just the business part of it, right? How hard was it to say the day you said it, I I need to step away? Yeah, it felt impossible. I mean, I, I write about this in the book. Like, how do you have how do you start a conversation with people you love who you've given your whole life to ministry with? Um you know, that you're leaving and, and there's no good way to start it. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, they're really, it was, it was really difficult. It, 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 I didn't know how they'd respond and rightfully, you know, they were upset, not mad at me, but of course upset, you know, this is, we've given our lives to this. This was not just me seeing this 20 year dream fall away, you know, in a sense. But it was them feeling like, can we go on now because of the decision right. you've made? Right. Now, a really pivotal moment for me, uh, because the the final phase for me of making this decision of, of worry inside of me that kept me from it was me thinking, like, what do the guys do? What, what will everybody else do? Right. And And I really felt God speak to my heart and say, do you think you're the only child of mine that I love? <laughs> I mean, like, really, right? Like, you think this really is all about you? And I was like, ooh, okay, message received. <laughs> so that really helped me move forward and know that, hey, God's in this. He's going to take care of everybody. Well, it's interesting that we're having this conversation because right before we started talking, I was working on a devotional based on some content that I had been reading, and and I was writing through it. And it's something that I've always struggled with is – my own will, the things that I want to do, just like running after them, stumbling, falling, running again, running again, doing whatever I have to do to try to get where I want to be. And it's funny because you kind of hit a point and it sounds like this is kind of what was happening with you where you realize, okay, great. I might want to do all these things over here, but those might not be the things that are meant for me. I'm That actually yeah. could be the wrong way to go. And so stopping and actually taking a step back and being like, okay, God, where do you want me? Yeah. That's kind of the, that's the, I think it's one of the hardest things to do because you're really giving up control and I still struggle with it, but not, I would say it's like 10%. Whereas before it was a hundred percent of a struggle yeah. for me. Um, what's your message to somebody who may be in a place right now where you were, where you were feeling that tension and they're not sure what to do? Yeah. Um, I, I do think that there's two different phases of it. I already mentioned, um, briefly, um, the rest, the restlessness. So I do think there are people who are in the restlessness phase who they know change is coming. They're feeling, um, prodded and, and like, you know, stirred inside that something is out of alignment with, with God or with, with his will for their life. And so I do think, you know, for me, that restlessness phase was probably almost, man, I, I want to say, almost 10 years uh, for me. Uh, out of the 20 years I was in the band, the last 10 years, I felt that restlessness, asking those questions, something needs to change, I don't know what it is. Um, and, and as I said before, as sure that 
as sure as I was that I was restless, there came a point where I knew I was released. So I would say there are people in the in the restless phase, they still feel God's hand on their shoulder saying, hey, I'm not quite done with you here yet, but he, he's preparing your heart for a change. And then there's some people who like, you know, and, and you know, people say, what's the sign? I'm like, man, you, you just know, <laughs> you know, when you know that you are being released or called to a new season. If you're in that season, I would say that the greatest blessings in my life have come from the moments where I had no idea what I was going to do next. And I just opened my hands. Um, I mean, I think of specific days where I, where I stepped away from the band and I had moments where I was just like calling out to God, like, I want to chase this example. I'll give you a real clear example. I just, I was doing these lead me live men's conferences. They were going awesome. It was like, but then I just felt like, okay, I don't know if I'm supposed to do another season of these right now. And I was about to just plan a whole nother season of these events because I was like, that's what I do. I plan events. That's how I, you know, that's what I do. And I'm excited about it. And I felt the Lord say, okay, just wait, just ask me what I Right, want. And, you right. know, and so I remember just that day praying like, Lord, just, you know, if you want something else for me and that day, Kirk Cameron calls and wants me to join his living room reset tour. So it's like, this is moments where I'm like, Lord, I don't know what you want. I surrender it to you. You know, it's like same thing. Just recently this happened. I was about to plan my fall just this week. I was in that moment where I was like, Lord, um, just show me if you want something for me before I run after what I want. That very day, Promise Keepers Canada calls and says, hey, we do some events with us, you know? And I'm like, okay, like, if you if you really surrender in faith, I'm not saying it's going to come to you right away, but but those have been the moments where God shows himself that, hey, I, I know what I have for you. Um, you don't have to run so hard and chase so hard. Make the decision to follow me where I've called you to, if that means stepping away from something or putting something aside. And, and he will provide. And that's all I can really give is my testimony. And hopefully that encourages people. And sometimes it makes no sense. It's like, I don't know why yeah. I'm doing this. I have no idea why I'm doing this. I have no idea. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. And it will make sense later on. <laughs> that's yeah. Kinda, totally. That's, that's right. That's right. And then, you know, and our prayers don't always get answered right away. But I'll tell you, there's never been in this country, uh, which is a whole, it could be a whole other conversation, but in this country, there is not a day that we don't go with our basic needs provided for. Oh yeah. You know, we, we have this, you mentioned the American dream. We've all got this idea of what life should look like for us based on what we see on television or how our neighbors live. But man, you know, there's a, there's a basic gratefulness. I try to sustain just remembering like at, at, at the lowest income classified poverty level, according to the U.S. government, I'm still in the 1% of the world in wealth. And so, yeah. so often we worry like, <laughs> I don't know, so often we worry about things that in the end will not matter. I mean, the things that I get upset about are ridiculous. It's like, oh, my Starbucks wasn't warm enough, hot enough when I picked, <laughs> I mean, no, it's, it's, uh, there are days where I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know, where I catch yeah. myself having these moments of, ridiculous complaints about life that nobody else in the world i mean they'd be grateful to have yeah. access to coffee right you know my dishwasher broke yesterday oh. and i was telling my <laughs> my daughter i was like oh man I don't know, if I have to wash these dishes by hand, right. I, and then I literally caught myself and I said, honey, forget dad said that. Like that is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Oh, if I have to do what 
uh, you know, 99.9% of the world has to do. I mean, give me a break, right? It's so true, though. <laughs> but I think that's so important because we we have so much, and yet we don't always remember that, right? And, yeah. And so I just... It, and it kills me because I, sometimes I do it in front of my kids and I'm like, why? This is not a big deal. I have to tell them after. I And one thing I try to do with my kids is when I'm ridiculous, I try to let them know I was being really ridiculous about yeah, that. That's great. You know? <laughs> like, that's great. Please don't act that way or think that way because what I my frustration over this is it's inappropriate. Right. Yeah. Um, so good. Yeah. I mean, I try and, and I wish I had fewer of those moments, but we're humans. And, you know, <laughs> that's too. that's the thing. Right. So. <laughs> Um, well, this has been this has been amazing. Can you tell us? So you talked a little bit about the conferences. What are you up to ministry wise right now? What's going on in your life? Yeah, it's kind of an eclectic season. Um, I still do songwriting. You know, it's funny because I I I was writing a hundred songs a year. Um, That's for, all. What an underachiever. <laughs> That's for, crazy. For other, you know, with other artists and in anybody in the music industry knows like the, the amount of songs you write versus the amount that end up on projects uh, is usually pretty low. It's about 10% or less, you know, and so but still it's like funny because, you know, I'm still getting randomly people just record songs that I I, uh, I wrote with them, which is great. Or sometimes I'll hear them on the radio, which is cool. Um, so that's still fun. I get to kind of itch that scratch to make music and be involved in that world. Um, I still sing, you know, I, I do, I put out an album in 2017. I didn't do a lot of promotion behind it. It was independent. Um, but just for the passion of it, cause I still love music. So music's a part of my life uh, and always will be, even if I'm kind of like hovering in the shadows a little. <laughs> um, but you know, writing this book has been a huge passion over the past year. And then moving into this year, um, my wife and I are finishing up a feature-length documentary called Bowen's Heart um, about our journey through Bowen's third open-heart surgery. Um, wow. The initial story, you know, appears to be a kid going through major heart surgery, but the bigger story is how it affects a family, um, you know, going through walking through chronic illness and whether or not, you know, as a father or as a mother or a friend or family member, you can continue to give your heart to something that breaks it. Oh, wow. And yeah. So we're really excited about, about that. And then, um, it's interesting, you know, people ask me to sing sometimes still, but, uh, <laughs> mostly I'm getting asked to speak these days, which I don't mind. Cause I kind of mix the two together. Um, I do that. I'm actually going to be on the Kirk Cameron. I should mention Kirk Cameron's living room reset tour, um, we'll, we'll be in 35 cities this year. So you can check out, um, at my website, you can see the events. I would love to have you at those. I, I get to share a little bit at those and lead a little worship and sing some of my own songs. So it's a mix of everything I love to do. And then Kirk talks on marriage and parenting. So, um, he's a friend, he's a friend. He's great. He's, uh, yeah, yeah his ministry is awesome. Yeah. He really he's is. so cool. Isn't he? He's he such is. a genuine guy. I've been blown away actually. You know, because you know everybody has this have pegged these child stars, and a lot of times they're they're living these crazy lives. Oh yeah, um, the Hollywood <laughs> you know product. Yeah. And wow, I mean, you can attest what a genuine man. Well, and really. I'll say, and I'll say this because I I am friends with both him and his sister Candace, and their yeah. parents did something right with them I mean, to have two Absolutely. kids come out of Hollywood who were on two hit shows, yeah. and to be. First of all, Christians, solid Christians, and people who are just solid, good people is yeah. incredibly rare. I actually yeah. don't know of another sibling. You know, I don't know of another scenario no. like that. So it's it's pretty either. it's pretty great. Um, I love it. 
Yeah. Well, where can people go? Uh, what's your website to find more info on you and what you're working on? Yep. So um, matthammett.com is my website. Uh, everything I work on uh, is there. Um, also my story, you can see there, I have a little six minute video. Um, but also I'm just kind of on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and it's really simple to find me. It's just my name, M-A-T-T-H-A-M-M-I-T-T, Matt Hammett. Lots of M's and T's. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much. I got to have you back again very soon. Yeah. Hey, anytime, anytime. Thanks, Billy. Okay, that was Matt Hammett, and the book is Lead Me. So check that out. Head over to Amazon.com, wherever you buy books. I think a lot of us buy them at Amazon now. That's just the reality of life. But if you could head over to a Barnes & Noble, which I don't even know if there are any open right now, you can grab it there. But yeah, you know, listen, I think it's so important to be talking about marriage and life and balance, and right now to really be focusing in on what matters most to us and you know, holding those people close that, that we love around us and also having hope. I mean, listen, I can sit there and watch the news all day and it gets me crazy if I read it, if I watch it. But there's so much in the world that's happening that's good. I'm seeing stories about the Guardian Angels in New York City. Uh, they're a great group out here that they're helping the homeless. I'm seeing stories of Matthew Barnett, um, who I'm actually going to have on the Pureflix podcast soon. And he was talking about how you know he's feeding the homeless out in California. So there's so much good going on right now. There's so many hardworking doctors and nurses and medical professionals. Thank you so much. And I want to also thank... All those people who are heading to work at stores, grocery stores, gas stations, all the essential places that we need in this country, those people putting themselves out there and and really being there and still showing up to work at a time when it's scary. People are worried. They're scared, especially here in New York. We have the highest number of cases in the country. And so let's just be praying for our country. And honestly, let's also be looking for stories of hope. I challenge everybody out there, like, take a minute and just look and see what stories are out there that can give you a little bit of positivity about what's going on in the world. We don't want to stick our heads in the sand and pretend that you know we're not seeing the truth, but we also want to be realistic and know that you know we got a God who is active and who is present, and um, we don't want to forget that, right? So it's it's incredibly incredibly important. And I'm just going to close out. I wanted to read a couple of words from Dr. Ben Carson. I thought it was interesting, and you know, I interviewed Dr. Carson last year. And I have, in fact, a number of times over the years, but I had a chance to go down to to HUD and, and sit down and do an interview with him, which you can watch over on pureflix.com on the show Pure Talk. But um, getting a chance to sit down with him was phenomenal. But he said something last weekend in a speech that I just want to read. He said, there's nothing wrong with godly principles, no matter what your faith is, loving your neighbor, caring about the people around you, developing your God-given talents to the utmost so you become valuable to the people around you, having values and principles that guide your life. Those are things that made America zoom to the top of the world in record time, and those are the things that will keep us there too. And I think with all of that being said, thinking through what comes next, how can we serve those around us? How can we serve our country? How can we come out of this stronger, better, more unified, more prepared? God forbid something like this ever happens again. But I really want to focus on that love God, love others part, because I think that is the key. We know it's the key of the gospel. It's what we're called to. And so I just wanted to share that. I thought those quotes were powerful. You can actually watch, um, or I'm sorry, read more about that over at insider.pureflix.com. You'll see the story I wrote. It's titled Dr. Ben Carson's Powerful Words About God and America Amid Coronavirus. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm excited to be back on this podcast. You're going to be getting a lot of great content here. So tune in next time for another episode of the Billy Hollowell podcast. 
Thanks for listening to the Billy Hallowell Podcast. Visit Billy on Facebook or Twitter at Billy Hallowell for more on faith, culture, entertainment, and plenty more.